Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. que le public de l'ASM attendait aujourd'hui la dernière entrée en jeu sous le maillot jaune et bleu de Jimmy Kebor. Hello everyone, happy Halloween, and welcome to another episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. Now gentlemen, we have among us a legend in Rugby Canada, and fitting with the holiday, probably one of the scariest guys to ever wear the red and white. We have with us uh, head coach of the Pacific Pride Academy, Jamie Cudmore. Jamie, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, sitting down and talking rugby. No problem, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. So we're gonna we're gonna get you started here, and uh, you know we know that the in some form, you know the academy's kind of been running during you know the COVID shutdown. But like, what was all that like? How how did you keep you and your 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 players busy during this COVID shutdown? Um, well, obviously it was very difficult. Uh, you know. For, for a lot of people uh, during this, uh, you know, last six, seven months. Um, basically, uh, after coming back from the sevens um, this past March, uh, we were seeing how things were developing around the world, um, seeing how, you know, our women's team had, had recently been in, um, in France. Uh, also, there was, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people coming into Vancouver, a lot of risk of uh, infection there. Um, so coming out of the uh, out of the sevens weekend, um, we decided to shut down our program um, just to kind of minimize the risk and you know wait a week or two and and see see kind of how things developed um, and then it just got worse and worse and worse as we as we all know. So um, you know, unfortunately for us, um, you know, we had to shut it down. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it's not really that important. Um, you know, we're we're playing rugby at the end of the day. It's um, it's not like uh, you know a hospital would have to shut down or something of, of that magnitude. But um, you know, clearly disappointing for uh, for the players, uh, for myself, and everybody involved in the staff um, because I, we had a, a really really good year uh, going. We had uh, quite a few guys graduate to MLR, and they would have continued on uh, around about that time. Um, but everything kind of got shut down and the world's kind of ground to a halt. And, and now it's only just progressively getting more and more back to our new normal here over the, really the last month. Yeah. I, I know when, when everything kind of shut down in March, you know, I, I work for uh, the, the public school board here in uh, Peterborough, Ontario. And <laughs> we went away for March break thinking that it might be an extra week of March break. And then we just never ended up coming back. And, you know, we started up back up again in September and it, it's not the same. It's been a really surreal couple of months. So I can imagine what it's been like to try and work with these young men to kind of continue their careers. 
Yeah, now it was definitely difficult, but um, we we managed to uh, get the boys back in the gym in uh, June, and then June July was uh, very much just programming, strength and conditioning based. Uh, you know, speed out on the field, obviously socially distanced. Uh, we weren't allowed to be in bigger groups. Um, then we got everybody back together um, on the first of September, and with our COVID protocols, we broke the guys into small groups of 12. And we basically just did the, the same thing throughout three groups every uh, every training day um, because, you know, it was the best way for us to get in consistent training, uh, to build these guys up, to them to be able to uh, handle more load and, um, you know, really concentrate on the kind of the soft skills that I think uh, a lot of guys need uh, need work on. You know, everybody needs work on those soft skills. But, um, you know, I think us in Canada, as a lot of guys come to rugby a bit later, they definitely need a, a little bit of extra work uh, in those uh, domains. Um, so that's really what we've done uh, for the month of September is, um, you know, it's been catch pass. It's been heads up rugby, uh, playing what's on, um, really trying to develop our, our attacking um, awareness and, uh, and the skills that are needed to uh, exploit, uh, exploit those situations. Yeah. And Jamie, you kind of touched on it a little bit in your answer there that there's a lot of Canadian rugby players generally kind of come to the sport later. So um, it has been a question that we've been asking all of our guests that have come on the podcast so far. Just how did you get started in rugby and how did your sort of journey through rugby progress? Well, my my rugby journey uh, started a bit later than most. Um, growing up in Squamish, there was no organized rugby uh, here on the West Coast. There, there was in Vancouver, but you know, I didn't know anything about it. Um, my father uh, immigrated to Canada from uh, England in the 70s, and uh, he, uh, he played rugby uh, at, at a pretty good level in university and, uh, and kind of in his region. Um, and he always wanted uh, myself and my brothers to play rugby, but uh, there wasn't really much opportunity up in Squamish back in those days. Um, but, uh, you know, 16, kind of 16 years old, 17, uh, there was an opportunity through my boss in Squamish, who was the president of the local cup, local club. And, uh, I kind of went out for a few trainings and started playing on the weekends and, uh, you know, the camaraderie, the, the whole kind of team atmosphere. Uh, I loved it. So, uh, you know, kind of, I got the bug and, uh, I just stuck with it. So um, the guests we've had on the show so far have, are currently playing in MLR. And yep. well, you've never, unfortunately, had the opportunity to play in a professional club in um, Canada or North America. Um, you obviously have a very decorated career playing in Wales and more notably France um, and now moving into coaching. Um, what would you say is one of your favorite memories or achievements over your playing career? Um, I think the first one would have to be, uh, getting my first cap with Canada, um, being able to, uh, replace, uh, Al Sharon down in Chicago, uh, many moons ago, I think it was, uh, 2002, uh, where I got my first cap. Um, that was a huge honor for myself, um, for my family as well. And, you know, all my, all my friends and my club, you know, the Capilanos and the Squamish Axemen, we're, we're obviously very proud to have uh, more guys represent Canada, more girls as well. Um, but, uh, you know, that was my, my first kind of major achievement. Um, and then after that, um, playing professional rugby, um, because when I first started playing rugby, I had no idea that it was actually 
a possibility of playing professionally. Um, I, you know, I'd seen some of the old five nations games that my dad uh, had on VHS and kind of thought, Oh yeah, that, that'd be pretty cool to kind of, you know, play in front of the crowd or, or, or something, something like that. But um, I had no idea that there was a possibility to go around the world and, and actually get paid to play. Um, and so um, that was, um, you know, a big, big surprise for me to get an opportunity professionally. Uh, when I first went to Wales in uh, in in 02, uh, just after my first cap, and then uh, leaving uh, leaving uh, uh, Canada after the 03 World Cup, and um, being uh, being in a professional environment in France where it was kind of sink or swim. You know, I didn't know how to speak the language. I didn't really know where I was. Uh, you know, you didn't have iPhones in your pocket to kind of <laughs> GPS, to, you know, know where you are these days. And I didn't know how to phone home because I didn't know there was like a country code for Canada and all this. So I was, I was pretty lost for the first few months. Um, but, um, you know, building my, uh, my skill set and my rugby experience over there in a professional um, domain was, uh, was really, really, uh, you know, it was life-changing. And, um, you know, and then becoming immersed in the culture and understanding, you know, the different kind of holy grails in French rugby and, and understanding that the biggest, the biggest thing in, in France is the, the Bouclier Brennus. And the Bouclier Brennus is basically a big piece of wood that looks like a shield. A bouclier is a shield, so um, that's kind of their 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 Super Bowl, their Stanley Cup, uh, whatever it may be for for rugby. Um, and being with Clermont, uh, where I played, I uh, played for eleven seasons. Uh, we had been uh, we had been in three finals previously um, in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and two thousand nine. Unfortunately, losing them all. Um, and then in 2010, uh, on the 100th year anniversary of the club, uh, we won. Uh, we won the Bouclier, um, and that was, you know, life changing experience. It was unbelievable. Um, you know, the the stories I could tell you guys here after that week. Um, you know, I don't think we have enough time on the on the podcast to go through it all, but uh, it was literally like uh, a volcano erupted in in Clermont, because you know. Clermont, say a, a volcanic region, um, and uh, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Seriously, like we came into town, they couldn't even let us off the train in town because there was too many people like around the train station. They had to let us out like three kilometers early, get us on a bus, a clandestine bus, which actually already had a thousand people around the train station there, and then into the town, into the open top bus. And basically, we went into town at a walking pace with like 15 cops around the bus holding a rope so that nobody could like climb up onto the bus and try to touch the bouclier. And we finally got into town and turning into town into this massive square, the Place de Jaune, there was probably 110, 120,000 people in the, in the center of the square. Um, and everybody started jumping there was this chant back in the day as so like if you're not jumping right now you're not a real Auvergnat so that's the name of the people from this region so everybody started jumping and they're basically pulling through this whole place and uh, there was a seismic event recorded from all these people jumping it was wow. crazy um, and you know, there's so many great stories, uh, like that, um, you know, through, through my time in France, but, you know, definitely the, um, the biggest, uh, you know, memory and, you know, kind of honor that I had there besides my first cap of Canada. And then, you know, being very fortunate to be involved in four world cups after that, um, it would definitely be the, uh, the bouclier in, in 2010. 
Now you've mentioned the you know the videotapes that your dad sh- showed you about the Five Nations, and you said your dad is an immigrant from England. Now my question to you is: after watching you know Super Saturday yesterday, where does your allegiance lie? You know, you spent a good part of your young adult life in France, and then you know you got an English father. You know, I, I'm an Ireland fan, so I'm absolutely heartbroken. But uh, how did you feel after after yesterday? Um, well, I think I, I definitely have a soft, soft spot for the for the French. Um, obviously, I've got friends uh, playing playing for France. I got friends coaching with France as well. Not Gaultier, I tell you that much. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's good. I always enjoy to see my my friends uh, do well. Um, so you know, it was it was unfortunate uh, that uh, Wales didn't do well um, because John 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 Davies is, is a good friend of mine, ex teammate. Um, you know, talked with a few other few of the other guys after the games. You know, they were obviously disappointed or elated, depending on who who I was talking to. But um, you know, I my my allegiance if I'm looking at those games Saturday uh, would definitely be uh, with France. Yeah. There you go. Um, now you're not the only famous, you know, Cudmore from your family. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Jamie's younger brother is, is, a is an actor. Uh, and the most important thing to us, especially Derek and I, cause we're both big comic book nerds is that, uh, he played Colossus and the X-Men film. So my question to you is which superhero would you like to take a crack at either on the film or if you had to go one-on-one with him on the rugby pitch, who would Jamie Cudmore either play or play against? Um, well, if any of those guys are going on the rugby pitch, they, they're going to be in a, in a world of hurt because there's no CGI on the rugby pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, to be honest, uh, I saw your question there earlier and I, I never really thought about that. You know, um, it'd be good to have my brother with me in the second row. We, I think we'd do some pretty good damage. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of if I was to ever take a role like that, uh, in terms of a superhero, uh, geez, I don't know. I, uh, I I always have a good uh, good laugh at uh, Bane in uh, in Batman. As, uh, <laughs> oh, okay, I do I do I do like that playing the supervillain. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I would watch it. Bane has also been known to create seismic events at sporting events. Um, as based on the last there you uh, go. Yeah. Rises movie. Um, so that I think it could actually work. Um, so. Moving on a little bit, um, there was some uh, Pacific Pride related news that came out this week, most notably that um, Crosby Stewart and Liam Murray have both signed with the Houston Sabercats in Major League Rugby um, and in therefore be kind of becoming the third and fourth players from Pacific pride to go to the Houston Sabercats. So uh, we'll just start with uh, Stuart and uh, Murray here. Um, what, how excited should Houston Sabercat fans be about these two players arriving? And what do you think that they can bring to um, the Houston franchise? Um, well, I think they should be very excited. You've got uh, two, two young players, uh, you know, uh, brimming with enthusiasm um, you know, they've got, you know, still quite a bit to learn, but, um, you know, they're very proactive in what they do and uh, they work extremely hard. Um, you know, Crosby, uh, as, a, as a young number nine, um, 
you know, he's, he's kind of reaches ceiling here with us, um, you know, being at the age he's it, he is and, and the experience he's already had. Um, and Liam really as well, he, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's come through the under 20 program. Um, he's done very well with us. Um, you know, he's had a few uh, kicks at the can with the national team. Um, so, you know, this is a, a perfect progression piece uh, in their, uh, in their rugby future where, you know, Staying in the uh, in the Premier League here uh, or here with the with the pride would um, really be uh, you know not the best uh, you know step for them. They need to get to a higher level and then just keep progressing. So having those two uh, uh, go off to uh, to Houston and uh, and with uh, with Paul uh, Healy, their director of rugby, who who I know quite well from from my time in France, um, I know they'll be uh, they'll be well uh, well coached. They're in a, they're in a good structure there, and um, I hope uh, that they uh, they have have a lot of fun and they uh, and they represent the uh, the academy and and definitely their countries uh, as as well as they can. Yeah, and that, that was actually kind of going to lead it, or I guess you're kind of leading directly into what my follow-up question for that was going to be is, so Stewart and Murray are now the third and fourth players from the Pacific Pride program to sign with Houston. Nick Hildenbrand signed earlier um, this offseason, and then prior to the draft, they also traded for Robbie Povey, who has also played um, some Pacific Pride games as well. So, um you know, Quinn Nawadi has gone off to Rugby United New York, and he's also a pride player. But it seems that um, the Houston Sabercats are taking an ex- especially large interest in the Pacific Pride program. So I was just wondering if you could maybe elaborate on what your relationship is between um, yourself and Paul Healy and the uh, entire Sabercat organization there. Um, well, I think uh, we were, um, to, to start off last year, we were invited down to Houston uh, by World Rugby, um, you know, us as Rugby Canada, an entity went down, myself, Kingsley Jones, uh, who's, uh, who else was there, uh, Aaron Carpenter as well, uh, some of the Arrows guys. Um, so we went down on a, um, for us, really uh, a kind of a, um, uh, I guess it was a connection uh, um, week for a few days for us where we uh, we got to meet all the MLR uh, head coaches, a few owners, uh, a few SNC guys. Um, and it was really um, a kind of a, a professional development uh, few days for, for those guys. And for us, it was a great uh for a few days to uh, connect with all these guys, some that, that I knew, some that I didn't. Um, and there was a, there's a few of the South American uh, professional entities there as well. Um, so that was, that was really good in terms of just opening up doors and putting face to, to email or to phone numbers and, uh, and um, just getting some connection with these, these, these guys that are looking for, uh, looking for players really, because um, if you look around North America, we're the only, um, World Rugby um, accredited uh, academy uh, in North America. So, you know, it, it, we're the best place to come if you want young uh, talent. Um, and that, you know, I know the level that they need to play at to be successful in the MLR. Um, the directors of rugby and the coaches know that I know that. So it's, it's, it's a kind of, a, it's a confidence thing. You know, when you're, when you're looking for players, you, you normally bounce three or four guys off of, you know, two or three coaches that you know and respect. And um, it's, uh, it's a lot better now that, you know, they, that our, all our guys are cycling through the program and off in MLR because that gives them a, a step up to, uh, for competition. And then for, for us, it just validates uh, how good the academy is doing and, and how, why it's so important and integral for uh, rugby in Canada in the future. 
Yeah. And so obviously last year was the first year of the uh, Pacific Pride Academy um, since it kind of restarted um, since um, the early 2000s for the first time. Um, So I was just kind of like, could you just give the listeners and everyone just kind of an overview of how the first season of the Pacific Pride went and you know, just like, obviously you're developing a lot of players that are already making that jump to major league rugby. So just like, what was your overall evaluation of the first season of Pacific pride? I know it probably kind of ended a little bit weird with the, uh, the world shutting down, but uh, other than that, um, just what, what was your impressions of the first season and the players that you had on your squad? Um, so the first season was, uh, was, was, I think difficult for, for a lot of people and for a lot of reasons, you know, it's, it's, it's never easy when you're starting a new program. Um, you know, I was in the process of moving back to Canada. So there's on a personal level, there's a lot of things up in the air. Um, but, um, you know, that, that's not really that important. I, I was, uh, very fortunate to have, um, uh, Matt Barr do and Adam Kleberger do an amazing amount of work on, uh, recruitment and getting a, a very well-balanced, uh, squad of guys that have come through the under 20 pathways or the under 18 pathways. So, you know, proving that our, our pathway system is working. Um, then, uh, they had a few kind of, um, you know, where they'd flip the coin with a few guys who were coming out of football or maybe guys that were a little bit older, but, you know, needed a little bit more development. So, you know, showing up, uh, for me where, you know, I really got there, you know, mid August and we started on the 1st of September. So it was, it was a get up, uh, and hurry up and get, get ready because four days after we started, we had a, we had a kind of a, we were supposed to have a game before the Canada BC uh, game before the world cup. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we didn't have enough guys and we couldn't actually have a game, but we just kind of had a controlled scrimmage for the, for the fans there. Um, and then it kind of, it went straight into the, uh, to the BC Premier League the week later. Um, so it was, um, it was kind of a, it was very, very rushed at the beginning, uh, just because we had so much different stuff on the go, like the guys training, you know, getting new systems, understanding a playbook, um, you know, properly loading the guys so that we're not blowing them up after two, three weeks in, because a lot of these guys have never been in a professional environment. They went in from doing two-day week trainings with uh, maybe a few extra weight sessions and a, and a game on Saturday to seven days a week, uh, where every training was, you know, through GPS and, you know, looking at their impacts and looking at their load and the high-speed meters. It was It's a professional environment. So, you know, that was very difficult for a lot of guys, um, you know, but uh, they uh, they stuck to it and they continued to work hard and and seeing how many guys went on to MLR uh, in the in the new year is kind of a um, proof that uh, you know that we we have the talent and they just need to be in a good environment and and be pushed so that uh, they can excel and move on to the next level. So obviously, as we've just mentioned, that the um, you know the world's sh- shut down this year and maybe things haven't gone to plan. And now you've also mentioned how over the past few months with the new normal things have been coming back together and, you know, limited uh, contact and things like that. Um, how, so how has the program changed and adapted during the shutdown and how did your players uh, take it? And as in, and so how did the layoff have an effect on these athletes? Yes. Yeah, so I think, um, 
for the first few months, the uh, the it was we were very much in the in the what if you know are we going to start next week? Are we going to start next month? So there was a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think most of the guys dealt with that quite well. Um, but the biggest thing was, you know, this, these rolling shutdowns everywhere in different parts of the country. Um, so they would get consistent training in, and then all of a sudden they'd have to stop for a week or stop for a few days, or or they wouldn't be do training at all. So, um, you know, there's a lot of guys doing workouts in their backyard or on their back deck, uh, um, and it's definitely not the same as being in an environment where you're pushing each other and you're actually running. You're not just kind of doing burpees in your backyard or whatever. Like that's, that's, it's very, very difficult. So, you know, I think most of the boys did, uh, did their best to, um, you know, just keep things consistent and keep guys, uh, keep guys, you know, training. Um, but then coming into the summer, we managed to get uh, our gyms open and get the guys in for consistent training and some speed. And then, you know, a bit of handling and catch pass stuff. And, uh, and that's really what we continued on with in September. Um, just working on those soft skills, you know, working on that heads up rugby, as I said earlier. Um, and just, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, game awareness, uh, you know, it was great to see the the rugby Aotearoa get back going. So, you know, we're doing a lot of review through through those games. Guys were watching those games, you know, from their position standpoint and how they can uh, how they can get better uh, around that. So, you know, we we did our best. Um, and now, you know, since September, uh, we've gone from that catch pass kind of building in to more high speed rugby to where. Last two weeks ago, we had a, an inter-squad game. It was kind of 12 versus 13. And then last week, we had a, a full inter-squad game of 15 versus 15, um, obviously within our cohort of 50. Um, and, and it was outstanding. You know, some of the guys uh, haven't played rugby since last March. So um, the boys were, were very excited. And uh, we did two two 30-minute halves, and uh, we got some really good work out of the guys. You need to tell uh, the the media team to to stream those scrimmage games because we're us Canadian fans are a little starved for some Canadian rugby. So m- yeah. put your connections together and make that happen because we, we would love that. We would, we would have we would have liked to have streamed it, but uh, that would have taken uh, one more person to actually run the uh, the whole, and that would have put us at fifty. So there was there was too much risk in fair terms enough, of COVID, right. but it, it was talked about. Um, you made an interesting point about how you guys were reviewing um, the Super Rugby games and stuff like that. When you're kind of taking your approach as a coach and, and, and looking towards what Canadian rugby is going to look like in the next, you know, next World Cup cycles, do you prefer to look at, you know, either the Northern style of rugby or the Southern Hemisphere, or do you kind of just say, let's look at the best players in the world and build from there. Um, no, I prefer to look at, uh, at what we have. Um, looking out at others is, um, you know, you can get, you can have learnings uh, from what other people are doing, but uh, ultimately it has to make sense for, for our athletes. Um, you know, Canadians are, are very unique. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not the same as our, our neighbors to the North, even though we are sorry to the South. Uh, even though we have similarities, um, you know, there's there's differences in, in even across the country as to difference differences between provinces. So, you know, it needs to be, um, you know, 
looked at from a kind of a, a satellite view as to, okay, they're, they're doing that over there. They're doing that over here. They're doing that in the Southern hemisphere. Um, and then adapt, you know, the things that, you know, might work for our guys and then implement that in, uh, in what we're going to do. Um, I think uh, traditionally uh, Canadians are, are always very hard workers and um, they don't like, they don't mind a, a bit of, a bit of rough stuff. Um, we've got some very intelligent athletes. Um, the majority of our guys are in university. Um, so they learn very quickly and they can adapt very quickly as well. Um, so if you look at those kind of that athletic, that intelligence and that work ethic, well, you've got three things which are very, very important in creating a coherent, high, high performance team. So, you know, yes, we look outside, but ultimately we, we look within and, uh, and we try to uh, adapt things and, and make them, uh, you know, predominantly Canadian. And you're going to be getting a little bit of uh, coaching support in the near future. You know, you have Phil Mack who, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting uh, dynamic as someone that you've played with personally with the national team. And he's coming in with, with coaching experience with uh, the Seattle Seawolves, you know, being the player coach and then uh, the previous season being an assistant coach. Um, can you speak to a little bit about, what excites you about having Phil joining your coaching staff um, in the future? Well, it's outstanding. You know, I've uh, been, it was very unfortunate that uh, Adam uh, Kleberger, um, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's moved on. He's still, he's still uh, helping us with the, the talent ID and the, uh, the scouting, the, the database and the scouting uh, piece, but uh, he's no longer coaching uh, with us day to day. And it was kind of a uh, Phil was in the right place at the right time. He had just come back from Seattle and un- unfortunately the, uh, the MLR season last year uh, had to, had to stop. Uh, so he's available and uh, it's somebody who I know and trust. And, and that's a huge uh, asset in any coaching staff. Uh, there needs to be total trust and, and, and understanding between, uh, between all the coaches, um, you know, knowing Phil, uh, we played together for years. Um, it was a no brainer. You know, I said, listen, are, are you, are you excited to be a, involved he, he said yeah I'd love to you know it's in Victoria I live here and and uh, I'd love to give back and and keep building with uh, with you so um, he said let's do it so it was uh, it was kind of a no-brainer for us and um, you know very very excited to have uh, someone of his caliber and his youthful uh, experience as well um, to uh, to be a part of the uh, part of the coaching staff yeah, and uh, we'll clo- we'll close out on um, some of the Pacific Pride stuff here. But just who are some of the players that you're most excited about? Who are like the guys that you think that you know, whether it be like in a couple of years or say the next World Cup or two, like will be able to make like a real big impact for the Canadian national team. Um, well, definitely all the guys that have uh, gone on to MLR. Um, you know, we've got uh, nine guys that have gone off to MLR uh, f- over the last year. And um, that's extremely exciting because, um, you know, those are the guys who, uh, you know, we see as being the next uh, – the next, um, you know, Canadian internationals to, uh, to help us, like you say, in, in 23 World Cup o- over in France. 
Um, you know, we've got uh, up, up front with uh, guys like uh, Tyler Rowling, Chris Atkinson, Dual Coetzee at Hooker, uh, Liam Murray, who you spoke about earlier, and Nick Hildebrand. Um, you know, so we've got some good new front row guys coming that are going to push those established guys. And that's what we need. That's what we didn't have in the in the past. You know, no, having no academy system uh, over the last 15 years is, is basically, you know, a huge part in, in why we've uh, struggled to be more performance at the uh, the national team level um, but now you know we've rectified that and uh, rugby Canada understands how how important this piece is so that we can keep uh, keep the, the 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 hot seat under uh, under all the guys that are established and that's just going to create a better competitive environment where guys are really pushing uh, each other and trying to get better um, you know in second row uh, we've got a few guys who are uh, you know still developing here with the pride but uh, there's um, there's definitely some uh, some bright lights. Um, the Vicolani brothers out of Burnaby um, doing very well. You know, Siaki uh, has uh, signed with Toronto for next year, and his brother uh, Taitusi. I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be a betting man if I didn't say he uh, he might uh, be with an MLR, MLR team uh, in the future as well. Um, you know, out back we've got a, a new South African num- number nine that actually just arrived last night, Ross Broad, who uh, came out of the Bulls under 21 setup. Um, unfortunately, down there he was uh, barred with uh, a lot of guys ahead of him in, uh, in that group. But he's a quality, quality player, and he'll be he'll be with us obviously after his quarantine. Um, you know who else we got there? We got um, you know Crosby Stewart. Obviously, we talked about Crosby earlier. Uh, another exciting number number nine going to play MLR. Um, and then uh, at 10, Will Kelly, who's gone with Toronto. Josh Teal went down to San Diego. Uh, Quinn Naguati, who you spoke about earlier. You know, we've got some some outside backs. Brock Webster, uh, Alex Russell, very, very uh, exciting young players who are involved in the uh, the wider sevens group now. Um, Deshaun Bowen, a uh, winger who uh, is, uh, you know, very, very quick. Uh, who else? There's um, even Isaac Olson, who's a young a youngster from, uh, from the NT. BC, who uh, did very well in the under twenty camp, and he's a he's a he's a big, strong kid and very, very fast. And uh, he's been fast tracked into the uh, into the national ID camp here in November. So um, you know, we got a lot of kids who are who are doing well, and uh, I've probably forgot a few, but um, you know, the the squad as a whole, uh, we definitely see uh, a lot of promise in in quite a few of these guys. I say, I love the fact that you almost seem to have kind of just rattled off the uh, the entire roster almost at that point, which, uh, you know, as a Canadian well well for fan us. makes me makes yeah. me very excited that you uh, seem to be excited about pretty much everybody that you have at the uh, Pacific Pride program right now. That, that Emerson Pryor from Trent University in the Peabrough Pagans is also a very, very interesting <laughs> young man. He has tackled me many yeah. times and it it hurt a lot. Yeah, well, Emerson actually he just he just joined us, so um, you know there's still uh, still some time to be put in for Emerson. Um, his friend James O'Neill, uh, the two of them are. Uh, I, I think I saw them out at Halloween. They were uh, Wayne and Garth of uh, Wayne's <laughs> World, so uh, they definitely got the uh, the best costume for the week. <laughs> Fantastic! Now we're going to be talking about some instead of. Pacific Pride players going to the Arrows will be Arrows players heading out to uh, British Columbia because of the high performance camp that is coming up. Uh, You'll be working with some of the Arrows staff at the high performance camp. How close have you worked with the Arrows coaching staff in the past year? 
Um, so we've we've been uh, very close. Uh, you know, we send uh, um, sorry, they send their their uh, daily huddle huddle training videos out to us uh, every day. So uh, we review and uh, and we collaborate on on that. Uh, when we're down in Houston, obviously we're with the the hour staff, and uh, you know we uh, we definitely. Uh, you know, we work, we work, uh, we work together. Um, you know, we've got a professional uh, team, uh, MLR team in Canada, and and they want uh, predominantly Canadian players. So, you know, when they when they have a need, um, we we try to find the best uh, the best guys to uh, suit suit their needs, um, and then. Going into November, having uh, Aaron and Pete uh, come out and, uh, and and coach with uh, with us is, is going to be great, you know, because that collaboration is just going to continue. Um, so I'm very excited to uh, you know catch up with Carps again and and Pete and uh, and Winnie will be out here as well, helping with the organization of the of the whole camp, making sure everything runs smoothly as he as he's uh, as he knows how to do. And um, you know, I'm uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Now, you did mention that the Toronto Arrows are the only MLR team in Canada, as we all know. But um, you had an interview on the very similarly named La French Rugby podcast earlier this week where you mentioned that you've had some conversations about groups um, that are interested in putting an MLR team in Vancouver. Um, is there any way that you could elaborate on that? We also know that um, George Killebrew did mention that there's nine cities that are talking to MLR about potentially joining um is there any chance that vancouver is already one of those or basically what i'm kind of getting at is how close is a second team to vancouver coming and like what have you heard um so i've been involved with the with three groups uh that have tried to uh start uh mlr franchise in vancouver one that was uh three years ago um and they didn't get off the ground due to various reasons. Um, and then another group uh, here this year that is are in very advanced talks with, with the league and uh, with other entities uh, to, you know, have a, uh, have a stadium and, uh, you know, kind of de-risk a stadium in terms of, you know, whether they put a hotel, restaurant, retail around it so that it can kind of run itself, which is obviously needed in, a, in any stadium, uh, you know, of that size. Um, you've, you've got to have uh, people coming through the gates, uh, you know, all week. Um, but the, that group is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping them in uh, on the rugby side of things. They, they understand the professional support side of things. So, um, it's uh, it's in pretty advanced talks, but um, you know, obviously, I can't say much more uh, at the moment as um, you know things things like that's not for it's not my place to, to comment on when it when it's going to happen or, or or what have you. But um, you know, there's there's definitely talks on uh, on that being uh, a, a team sorry in Vancouver uh, being being a viable option. The MLR are are very excited because obviously Vancouver is a, a great market. Um, you know, with uh, you look at you just go look at the hockey or the ML, or MLS. Um, you know, it's similar similar teams already um, in in both rugby and soccer. So um, I could see uh, things following the uh, the kind of the same vein as as MLS did. Uh, you know, what about twenty years ago now? Now, you know what? I'm going to put you in the hot spot on a hot seat, Jamie, and and you are part of this management team. What are you going to name this Vancouver team? What am I going to name the Vancouver team? I'd call yeah. the action. I'd call the action. <laughs> homage to my first team up in Squamish, the Vancouver oh, action. But, I was going to um, say, it's just, well, you can just put it in Squamish. We just call it, like, have Squamish, professional sports team in Squamish. Why not? 
Well, hey, you know, there's a hell of a lot of professional sportsmen up there, whether it be mountain biking, snowboarding, snowmobiling, and wet kite surfing or climbing. So I know we just added a rugby team to it. There we go. And it sounds like there might be a new stadium there, too, with uh, kind of what you were saying. So you might as, might as well just put it all up in Squamish. Hey, you know, if, uh, if only the if only land was cheap up there, boys. <laughs> uh, little details. Um, so you, we've mentioned the, the high performance camp coming uh, quite soon, actually. Um, what do you see your role being? Uh, with the coaching staff because it, it very much will be a collaborative uh, kind of uh, camp. So where do you see yourself filling the role? Uh, well, my role is uh, I'm the forwards coach of the national team. So it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, Kingsley's, <laughs> head coach. Kingsley's head coach, uh, Rob Halley is, is the attack coach. Um, and um, so that's, that's the coaching team. Um, under that, well, not under that, with that is, um, you know, Phil Mack uh, uh, assisting Rob, uh, Phil, uh, sorry, Pete uh, Smith uh, assisting Rob as well in, in the uh, in the implementation of our attack processes. And then Aaron Carpenter is, is uh, we're, we'll be working together as well on a, on it forwards and uh, and defense. Um, so uh, it's going to be great, uh, as I said, to, to collaborate with those guys again. And, um, you know, we'll we'll get learnings off each other as, sure. as you always do. Um, and just, uh, and just try to build a, a coherent, you know, coaching staff for those three weeks. And at the end of the day, uh, we got to get as much work as we can, uh, with these guys so that, um, hopefully come, you know, next spring, uh, we can get it maybe a few camps or a few games going and then, uh, really fire, uh, fire up into the, uh, the summer international series and obviously fingers crossed if, uh, that all, all that stuff can go off. And you know what? It's uh, Rugby Canada has been pretty uh, transparent about the financial issues that COVID's hit them with. Um, you know, they had to cancel their their Halloween weekend and uh, other other test matches that they plan on having. Um, it must be a really big relief to have the arrows be a part of it. So, you know, part of the bill can be covered in terms of having that additional coaching staff to help you guys uh, with Rugby Canada running this camp. Well, definitely, definitely. You know, it's um, it costs uh, costs a lot of money to move guys around the country, uh, get them uh, get them housed in a hotel for three weeks and food and all the rest of it. Um, and without having um, test matches, it's it's very very difficult, to, you know, to to run things like that as we don't have too much money coming in. But um, you know, it's it's in, it's critical in our in our building for next summer, or really for the next two years, because we still need to qualify for the World Cup. So, you know, with that kind of not long-term, but mid-term goal in the back of our minds, um, right now is the perfect time to over-resource in terms of players. And the more players that we get upskilled, we get, you know, these guys playing at a better level here with the pride in the BC Premier League and then off into whether it be university uh, setups down in the States or over in Europe. Fortunately, Canada is not doing anything right now, but, um, you know, MLR hopefully will go off in, uh, in February, um, February, March. And, uh, and the go, the guys will uh, be playing some meaningful rugby leading into, into the summer. So yeah, money is, is definitely very tight. So uh, we're not, we're not going to be wasting anything, you know, <laughs> make sure you finish all your food at lunchtime boys, because uh, <laughs> um things things are tight but you know it's um 
That's always been the, the way in Canada. You know, we get, uh, we figure it out uh, as best we can. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't have as much as say in England or France, but you know, it's, um, it's fine. We, uh, we make do with what we have and uh, we make the best of it. Well, Jamie, we really appreciate you taking time out of your, your schedule to meet with us. You know, this is, you know, when, when I first started playing rugby in high school, um, it was it, my, my rugby coach brought us all in to watch, you know, matches that you were playing in and then, you know, to show us how, how to probably make a tackle, how to make that line break cleanly without having someone, you know, holding on to your legs as you're trying to make that dash. So to have you on the show, we, we really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you very much, uh, Derek, Daniel, Stuart. It's been uh, it's been a slice, and uh, you know, any any time I can uh, I can chat and uh, kind of speak to the greater greater Canadian, Canadian rugby public. I'm I'm very happy to do so. I do have just one final question, and that uh, is a, a lot of a lot of people have seen the clip of you at the 2015 Rugby World <laughs> Cup going over to the French huddle, leaning in. Uh, were you able to pick up any uh, of those French tactics before you were quickly removed? Or oh yeah, I knew the, I knew where the ball was going, and uh, I was actually talking to Damien Truly, who's um, he's a good friend of mine, and he was actually our our neighbor uh, in Clermont. He had bought a house uh, just down the hill from us, and uh, we we'd hang out all the time. We'd be down at his place, be up at mine, and uh, I just uh, I. I tucked my head in and said, Oh, Damien, qu'est-ce qu'on fait? You know, just kind of, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he, and he, and he gave me the call before he actually looked up and he looks up. He's like, Oh, you, he's like, he's like, get out of here. And then, uh, I think Rabba grabbed me and tried to pull me away. And I just had a, had a bit of a laugh inside. And, uh, unfortunately we weren't, uh, contesting lineouts in, in that world cup, but, um, you know, I, I knew it was going middle back and they were going to drive it. So uh, we just uh, we had to get in and get under him. And unfortunately, uh, we uh, we couldn't stop that one, uh, that one drive. Well, that's that's, you know, infamous, infamous scene. You know, anyone that's that's been a fan of Rugby Canada will always remember that scene. And they'll always remember the man known as Cuddles. Uh, that's something that actually we do a, a lot in the past. Uh, when uh, Nathan Hines and I played second row together, we we'd regularly come slowly back to a lineout, and you just walk through the huddle. If they're doing a huddle or whatever, you kind of get down and tie your shoes and sit right next to the huddle and look up, and then just kind of walk through everybody, and then you know maybe step up on a few feet whatever just make sure you're you're uh you're not you're not missed and um you know kind of try to get the guys off their game right you're uh you're teaching all these tactics to the pacific pride players for so that they can use them when they get to the national team right of course of yeah. course that's rugby <laughs> all those little things that little pull you know that little face wash at the bottom of rocks you know our uh, perfect rock cleaning drill is you get in and under somebody because you can't win a ruck if your shoulders are higher than the uh, the, the defender right. so we have a shoulder height drill where you have to get in and under and the best the best practice is in and under flat on your back face wash off you go. <laughs> when I when I was uh, playing a few games with Trent University, one of the the, the back uh, the forwards coach was infamous for his hook and a scrum. He put you up, and I was a prop, so he was just 
put his finger either in your nose or in your mouth and he would just get you down and you'd collapse the scrum and we'd get a penalty every time in practice and all my teammates would be like yelling and screaming and be like, like I can't help it. The guy fish hooked me. The coach did it. Oh my. Well, might you might have to figure out some way to defend yourself there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Jamie, we really appreciate this, man. Thank you very much. It's no problem, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Well, gentlemen, <laughs> that was just an amazing experience. I mean, I, I said it right before he left about, you know, he was one of the first, you know, rugby players that I started watching when I started playing rugby in high school. And it, I'm still kind of, my head's still kind of spinning about that. And, and the fact that he was just so cordial before we even started recording, you know, the emails that he sent us, he even called me Mr. Murphy, which is just haunting coming from, from him so my mind's just in a different place right now i don't know how the rest of the show is going to go oh uh, i mean the rest of the show will be it'll be just as good it'll be just as good that's how you get people to stick around man you gotta you gotta be able to get past this the professionalism dan uh, okay you gotta be I'm, able I'm, to, I'm reeling it back yeah, in it's a professional to, era now gone in yeah, the amateur right? days we gotta focus on uh yeah exactly. everything going for. Um, right. but yeah that was that was a ton of fun um like you said man he's a just canadian legend you can uh you know there is i mean I've, i'm sure like a lot of people around our age that started kind of playing you know playing rugby around say like say 2007 to 2010 and stuff you know uh watched cudmore go through um you know i guess three of the four world cups since i started playing rugby um and he's um you know he's yeah he's just absolute absolute canadian legend uh of kind of you know the the sense of humor and talking about how to, you know, sneaking up into the French, the, you know, the French little huddle before the line out there, um, you know, a little bit of the dark arts of rugby kind of mixed in there too. I agree with him, Dan, you got to figure out how to defend yourself against that hooker. Um, you don't expect it. The guy's like 50 years old and, and, and he's, yeah. he's the opposition prop and like, you don't expect it. And then just whoop. Well, see with the fish like, hook. Well, if he's doing it, why aren't you expecting it? You should know better by now. It's I your should, own fault. I should. It's, your, it's, it's on me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gang up on Dan Knight. Yeah. It's you got to figure out something to do there. Um, obviously, like, you know, there's just, it's, it's just really fascinating hearing him talk about the Pacific Pride program and how, how needed it is. Um, was obviously, yeah. you know, Canada was on the rise the last time there was the Pacific Pride program in place and then it got taken away. And, you know, there's been a little bit of a fall down the rankings since then. And, you know, hopefully having it back will be the first step to, you know, rising back up the rankings once yeah. again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and obviously, I think I think it's important, too, to have a guy like Cudmore that was part of the original Pacific Pride program as well, kind of leading that and, you know, showing. Showing that, you know, showing those like the young Canadian players that it's like, you know what, like, hey, like you can play professional rugby, um, you know, when you get your start in Canada and not even necessarily MLR, but go to France. And speaking of France, um, Will Priscillier, guys. Looks, I yeah, mean, he, he apparently, wow. apparently magic. He's magic. Good, good, good transition there, Derek. Yeah, That's we've had, we, you know, we I'm, had even, a couple... I'm even wearing like the Stade Francais pink too. It's technically the 
MLR breast cancer shirt. And it's just an MLR one because I cheer for everybody. So I just got to do the, uh, the team logo. Um, uh, look, look at, uh, look at Derek sitting on the fence there. Go, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a busy, uh, weekend in uh, France for Canadian, uh, Canadian rugby players, uh, Tyler Ardron and, uh, Matt Tierney enjoyed a win, uh, with Castaneros. Uh, so fantastic win for, for those guys, but Will Persilier, uh, you know, in his first, first top 14 appearance with, uh, Stéphane Francais, uh, had a, a nice little try to, to celebrate his first, first cap in the top 14. Yeah. And it was on his, uh, it was on his first touch, um, so which is even better, just comes onto the field. Um, I know, like, you know, we're, we're talking about how great this try is. It's really all created um, by Sifu Navula. Um, he, man, he, he, that was an unreal little chip kick to himself that he kind of regathered, kind of popped it back up in the air over the defender's head too. Um, that was just outstanding uh, work from him. And then, uh, but that, but the support line from Priscilla is just brilliant. And even all that, I'm sure in other parts of the world, the highlight is uh, going to be from the winger there. But in my eyes, it's uh, definitely Priscilla's support line. Um, and like, I don't know, like it's, it's great. It's, it's just great to see man. It's, you know, calls back to, you know, Mario Lemieux scored on his first touch in the NHL and I'm not making any comparisons, but I'm just, no, gonna say, just yeah. you're going to ruin, yeah, you're hey, ruin the emotion. Maybe, maybe we got the, uh, the Mario Lemieux of Canadian rugby blossoming here, scoring on his first touch, um, in the pro 14 or top, yeah, top 14, excuse me. Um, he'd probably score on his first touch in the pro 14 too. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, easily. He'd probably score before his first touch in the Pro 14. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, it's just, he's just that good. He's just that good. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, we had, uh, you know, talking with Jamie Cudmore about some of the uh, the great, can, you know, the Canadian, up and coming Canadian players playing for the Pacific Pride. But um, man, I cannot wait to see Priscilla, um, you know, in the, uh, in the national team jersey on a very regular basis. Well, hopefully, I'd like to see Pacillier play more in France, particularly in 2023 after Canada is qualified <laughs> for the World yeah. Cup and not just while the top 14's going on while the World Cup's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what a try, though. What a try. Congrats. It was very welcome, nice. to, welcome to the show, bud. This, uh, yeah. this will be fun. Hopefully, we'll see him lots in the, uh, the, the senior team. Now, guys, we're going to bring it back to uh, local, back to Ontario, and... Every now and then on this show, we kind of bring it bring it around to hockey, and that is just like I uh, literally just did ten seconds ago with that exactly new comparison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and this time, we're not going to make it a positive thing because there are some issues happening in OE, in uh, Ontario sporting leagues. Um, the Minister of Sport, uh, Lisa McLeod basically came out and said that there wasn't going to be any body checking in the OHL. And, and it was a very strange situation because uh, the Ontario hockey league um, had not said anything uh, about it. Um, they had basically said that they were in negotiations with the province and, and for anyone who's not uh, aware um, the Quebec major junior hockey league had started about a month ago and it That's has up. been, been an absolute gong show uh there have been tons of positive cases teams have had to shut down uh the only teams that seem to be playing normally are the maritime teams so you know it it has just been a tire fire um 
Uh, I believe the WHL has started training camps. I don't think they've started playing their their full season yet. Um, so the OHL has been kind of taking a cautious approach with good reasons. Um, but the reason why I want to bring this up is the Premier walked back those comments and said they're still in negotiation. Guys, I don't think we can argue that the Arrows and, and rugby is not a contact sport where COVID has definitely been taking an effect on it. So looking at how the province and the Minister of Sport in particular is handling the OHL and body checking, where do we see the Arrows playing? I mean, we're also seeing that the, the Toronto Raptors are selling their services essentially to the highest bidder. You know, we've got the mayor of Kansas City uh, tweeting in, in, in two different languages to try and entice them. Uh, the, New Jersey, apparently the Prudential Center is looking to maybe have them come play. So are we saying that maybe the Arrows need to just kind of give up on in Ontario and maybe look to the South or is there negotiations that can happen? I mean, again, the OHL has history. Like it's, it's, it's for some towns, it's the be all and end all. I know here in Peterborough without the Pete's, it's going to be a very, very long summer for some people. So yeah, especially since you play hockey in the winter, but yeah. You know what? I, 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 so I'm so tired. Yeah. I can what talk. do you guys, what right. do you guys I'll, honestly I'll, know? What, I'll, I'll, I'll what do you guys right, think about this? Cause all. this is big news about sport, sport yeah, in Ontario. It's, it's big in Ontario. I mean, obviously the, the, you know, I guess the literature that Lisa McLeod kind of tweeted to defend it um, did say all sports where contact is a principal component of the game um, highlight. So weirdly. Yeah. So, I mean, in the, the actual article that she put out um, highlighted things like wrestling and judo, which is obviously completely unavoidable. It's a combat sport. Um, but I, I don't know, like one, Doug Ford kind of coming back out and being like, no, we're going to continue to look at the, the OHL situation um, gives a little bit of hope. One, I think like on one hand, it's like, this is like, it's, it seems like, a, like a ridiculous ruling um, mainly because like, I don't see how, how a body check is any more dangerous than, you know, sitting on the bench next to the guys or, or battling or from or the battling, net or battling, or battling the corners, like, or, or a fight. Like, I don't, I don't see how, yeah. My wife asked me that question. Yeah. Like, so do the refs have to they start working out now so they can pull these kids apart when they're trying to fight? Like, but, but this is the thing too, is like, obviously the OHL has been trying to crack down on fighting and they have, you know, more strict rules on it, but they haven't banned it. So, I mean, body check, like I just, it doesn't, I don't see how it makes sense. And obviously it's a developmental league and it's a league that is a direct feeder to the NHL. And you know, they are technically all amateur, but they can make money through other means like, you know, signing bonuses and stuff if you're drafted, things like yeah. that. A but, good portion of the of the population of the OHL, their players yeah. are also in high school. High school. So I, I wonder I wonder yeah. if that has a big factor in it because like that's been a problem in know. Quebec is is the, the players have been getting COVID and then going to high school. Yeah. Well, and, and like, getting kids sick at their high school. Like, yeah, that, that could be 16, part of the 16. Problem. What? What's the what? age grade? 16 to, to, to 20. Yeah. 16 to 20. I think so 16, have, 17, 18 years on your team. And then 19 year olds, if they take a fifth year. 
Yeah, you can have. Yeah. Like, know, it, so it, there it, are a lot of high school students that are taking part in the OHL. They, there are. I have no idea. But it's like, I don't think like I don't know what's happening in the uh, queue like that's making it like case so many cases. But I don't know. It does seem like body taking a body checking is the answer yeah. to that question, um, which like I like I feel like if that's the case, though, it's either like I feel like that's one of those things where it's either it's either safe to play in whatever like rules that you have or it's not safe to play um i wonder though like like you said it's like i don't know how this is going to impact the arrows at all to be honest with you because it is a hockey ruling and also like we are ways away from the start of the mlr season so obviously and which is also going to be around the same time that the ohl season starts too um so like it'd be which is why i also think it's kind of insane like why why that decision's being made so far in advance of the start of their season because i think the ohl is supposed to be starting up in like february as well because they're pushing it back even later um but it's like it doesn't make any sense to me um to me this is just building up a case against the arrows playing yeah I i don't know but yeah. like the other thing though too is like maybe there's that because it's like obviously they let the NHL happen and maybe there's a little bit of the fact that there was the bubble and stuff that yeah, made it different. I think that's the um, big thing. People weren't coming in and yeah. out of the country. They weren't yeah. leaving We've, the area. They weren't going into the community. Yeah. Honestly, I think I think though ultimately like we're kind of getting at like I think I think it's kind of like obviously it's nuts. You can't play a high performance, high level hockey without body checking. Um, so that's that's not going to happen. I don't know what the result's going to be, but that's not going to happen. The OHL obviously also has to figure out the the American team situation too, kind of in the reverse sense of what the MLR has to do and what the NBA has to do. Um, and even like what the NHL has to do. I think the NHL is like, I think... I think if you kind of look, NHL is the, the best league, suited for the situation. Yeah, I think like if you kind of look at division. like the because I think you might be able to get away with the fact that it's like yeah, like it's it's amateur and stuff technically for the OHL, um, or they classify it as amateur and stuff. Even though you know yeah. you can kind of we can kind of hem and haw on the definition of amateur in relation to the OHL is, um, but I think ultimately what it, you kind of look at is it's like the thing that makes. Like if the arrows were to have home games in Toronto, the thing that I'm kind of looking at is like the Raptors are looking at contingency plans for playing in the States. And I think think to me, a big part of why we're seeing like Kansas City or New Jersey, like openly kind of like, you know, the mayors of those cities kind of being like, come and play for us. Obviously, you have big arenas that are empty that have no events. And, uh-huh. you know, an NBA team, even if you can't have fans, could still be a little bit of cash um, coming into that arena, coming into that city. Um, so you, I understand why those like it's, would that would be a desirable outcome for some of those places that are going to be sitting empty. Um, but I think like if like, I think that's those are the kind of things that I'm kind of looking at that might have a little bit more like if the Raptors got to play south of the border, if the NHL is looking at that all Canadian division. That might maybe those are going to be the things that will be, be the signs towards um, whether or not um, the arrows also have to look at you know maybe a U.S. base. But this is also like I said, I think I think when we were talking about the start date being March twentieth, that was the one thing that everyone said would be is the part of the advantage of having that start date is you get to see what everybody else does first and you get to see what works and stuff right and. Um, obviously you can't play rugby without tackling. 
um, or scrums or lineouts or rucks or any of that. Um, so in the same way that you can't play hockey without body checking, um, or at least you can't play, or I shouldn't really say that because obviously you can, because that's what the elite women's game is, is hockey without body checking. Um, but, but there's physical contact in that but sport. Yeah, the there's still body contact yeah. in women's hockey and stuff. But it's like for the OHL being a developmental league, supposedly the best league in the country, um, the best junior league in the world, like you can't, you're not playing without body yeah, checking. For sure. It's not happening. Um, and so I don't really know how that impacts. Um, I just find like, I don't know, it's a political situation that, might loosely impact sports and stuff um but yeah like i i don't even know because they haven't even really said it's going to impact other sports because it's all been the ohl and i don't know if that's just because we're in canada and we're a hockey bad nation i think that's exactly what it is like that and that's what they're talking about but i think to me it's like i think that'll be the key indicators are going to be like to me it's like if the nhl starts and it's an all canadian division nobody crossing the border or if the raptors have to find a home somewhere south of the border too i think those are kind of going to be a little bit more of the indications to what the arrows may unfold have to do um or maybe or who knows like i mean it's still six months away so there's there's a lot of time to figure things out um i would imagine there's i would imagine there's some sort of contingency plan but um ultimately i don't know i don't i don't think this body no body checking thing is going to actually hold up um i don't think that's going to end up happening so um, so there's, there's obviously the queue obviously has a ton of problems on their own but it's probably one of the worst leagues as far yeah. as covid goes in north america right now um yeah so um so Stu, what, what bad you, but so Stu, what do you think about this do you do you think that 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 having a minister of sport coming out and saying body checking in in one of the most popular sporting leagues can have an impact on on how the arrows are going to be running um and and do you do you worry as much as i do about about the arrows ever playing a home game in you you know, the next lot. season you worry. I do, but I mean, okay. Let, let's look at the evidence that's being stacked against them right now. The one, and this, the Blue Jays didn't get to play in in Canada. That, that right. that's a big one. Two, the Raptors were in a bubble. Looks like they're not going to play in, in mm-hmm. Canada. Okay, that that's two major teams that are one of the only that are the only Canadian team in their league. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about um, honestly. COVID cases are now currently the highest that they've been. In Ontario, and we're about to go into summer where people are sorry, the into winter where people are getting sicker because of flu season and cold season. So, who knows what this is going to be like? And it sounds like our province and our provincial government do not have a grasp on how to handle it. I think, honestly, I think the one that makes me the most, I'll, I'll obviously I'll give Stu his, his moment in the sun here in a second, but like, I think out of all that, the one that <laughs> makes me the most nervous is just like. If you're looking at that, it's like the NHL apparently considering the all Canadian division. Yeah. Is because it's like, okay, the, the NHL is willing to realign the league in order to not have to cross the border, basically. Um, so that that's kind of the one that makes me a little bit more, but I don't think the body checking thing is gonna hold up anyways. Go ahead, Stu. We'll let you talk now. Oh, um, now it's okay? All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're here now. So, so anyways, Dan, what's the next? Oh, sorry, Stu, you can go ahead. Okay. Dan, next um, topic. Go oh, ahead, Stu. The worst part is that he's the host, so I can't mute him. <laughs> I know. That's how he gets this. this he's very smart. I can, I can mute you guys, though. Yeah, but do you need to? Anyway, 
Um, so as being the biggest hockey fan amongst the three of us, really? um, I... I think obviously that the body checking thing is one of these reactions to COVID because obviously if you're close to someone, then that's going to be one of the things. Because even though with like wearing masks and everything like that, all the experts say, including Dr. Tam, that nothing's better than being physically distant and social distancing from everyone. So if you can reduce the legal means of contact then that's what they're doing obviously it's easy to say that but then in practice it's much more difficult um in terms of connecting to the arrows it's been made abundantly clear by the federal government that they are not willing to open the border with the united states until their numbers go down or in the worser case scenario that Canada's numbers get so bad that it matches, but that's <laughs> a long way to happen. Um, I mean, hey, we're, we're trending that direction, I suppose. Um, so I think, especially with five months until the kickoff of the 2021 season, there's going to be a lot of changes. Yes, there's likely going to be a big spike over the winter, but as spring comes around, um, hopefully the numbers will start to go down. Um, but uh, Killebrew also has mentioned that there is a bubble plan in place and that would probably mean that all teams would have to play in the United States. Um, now, Here, and, and here's it, my, sorry, Stu, here's my worry. I want to, I want you to keep going, but are we, Dan, are you ever going to just let Stu talk? Man? The bubble problem, the bubble thing worries me. Him. The bubble thing worries me because of the cost. Like, as no, a team think, in its infancy and also did not have a full season previously, can we can can MLR shoulder that burden? And it's I think with our current knowledge of how the league is being financed, I'm gonna say no. But at the same time, I don't think anyone who's not involved in like the board of governors truly knows how the finances of the leagues of the league is at the moment. So it's very difficult to say. Um, I'd also imagine that a bubble league would be far shorter than the 16 weeks that they're so yeah, 16 games, 16 weeks of games, 18 week regular season that's currently being um, marketed. Proposed. Yeah. 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 Don't forget as well, like the United States are allowing fans at games too. Like as we currently speaking right now, like they're allowing fans at games, right? Yeah. So you're not like from a business, like, I mean, you can de- we can debate whether that should be happening, but they're allowing it. Even yeah. even like MLR, like if you really break that down even further, like um, like Utah, Atlanta, like they're all, they're playing preseason or they're playing exhibition games with fans right now like we're already playing mlr games yeah with fans in attendance so the the issue i think is crossing the border at this point is really what's going to happen and that's and in my opinion what'll stay we should finish we should let Stu talk though dan so so my so obviously if that is the case that a bubble league would be uh i say like the very upper limit of that would be all the other teams can play in their 
Stadia, but Toronto would have to have like a second home yeah. south of the border. Um, I would say if they were going to pick anywhere, they should pick um, Ohio, specifically in the metropolitan statistical area of Witten and Steubenville, because in Jefferson County, Ohio, is the city of Toronto. And therefore, you don't have to change any of the marketing, any of the uniforms, anything like that. You'd be based in in the east, in Toronto, and... Yeah, you know, yeah. you have to work around these things. Well, ch- ch- change the uh, the flag on the back to an Ohio flag. Oh, go. no, well, it'd be, it should be for the players' um, country of residence, which for all in case would But be. it's not. It's a Canadian Canada. flag right now. So Exactly, Canada. where they reside, where for that season they reside in Canada, and then that's where the, all their postal address goes to. Therefore, yeah. they should be... I think- uh, I don't know. I, th- I think I think we're just ultimately at that kind of point. Like like you said, it's like other other leagues they're letting fans in. Let's see how like do these exhibition games. See how these go with letting fans yeah. in and stuff. You Listen, get that guys. advantage. So I'm not I, honestly I'm a- to go back to like what originally started this conversation. I don't think the no body checking thing has any bearing on All this. Right. Um, Listen, because guys, I, also, I also don't think it's going to actually happen. I think the OHL yeah. when they start are going to have body checking. Listen, guys, I'm a meerkat. Every so often I pop out of my hole, I see something that terrifies me and I pop back down. And in this in this case, it's what is going to threaten me possibly being able to see a rugby match in the spring. So we'll see. We'll see. Now, now there has been some uh, some news uh, with the LA Guiltinis that does have an effect on Rugby Canada. And uh, Stu, uh, why don't you tell us about, um, about Mark Carter and his uh, relationship with Rugby Canada? So Mark Carter has been hired by the Giltinis um, and he is well known as an international rugby performance analyst. So he has 14 years as an elite um, performance analyst. He's played key roles for uh, the Pro 14 champions, Scarlet. He's uh, worked with the Welsh Rugby Union as well. And for the last three years, He's been building a lead the analysis department in Hong Kong and Asia. So Carter will be working in a dual role with the uh, Rugby Canada's national team during the international windows. That basically means when uh, test season comes around, uh, including the ARC, he'll be working for Canada. And for the rest of the MLR season, he will be working in LA. Um, I think this is a fantastic uh, signing for LA. Um it may just be the bias of me in that he worked for the Welsh Rugby Union. Um, That's but, why we asked for your opinion on this matter. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I think um, having a performance and having a good performance analyst um, can do a world of wonders for any team. And I know, obviously, a lot of us mainly have experience in like the amateur teams where it would just be, you know, the coach or coaches, if you were fortunate enough to have more than one, um, pointing out what you didn't do well the previous uh, weekend and how to improve it for the next game. Um, But obviously, as you get into a more professional environment or even into a university team or things like that, these analysts can really improve your game and really improve your performance. And, you know, and as LA continue to expand their backroom staff and 
that will have a key reflection on the uh, team on the pitch. So it's considering we've had months of radio silence from LA, the fact that we're now getting these great signings come through is going to make a, you know, it's then maybe one of the teams to watch. Of course, um, from the start of this month, they'll be announcing their 30-man squad. So, you know, we'll maybe be able to get to see um, some interesting names go with these interesting backroom signings. And, you know, hopefully by the end of the month when or whenever we get the full 30-man roster announced, you know, we can put a idea together of, like, just where LA is going and what their goals are for the uh, 2021 season. Yeah, and I mean, knowing, knowing our luck, um, we record this on Sunday, November 1st. Um, so I'm sure by the time this podcast is out on uh, later this week, um, they will probably have announced a massive signing um, and potentially a massive Canadian-related signing. Um, so this will be possibly out of date. I'm fully prepared for that risk. Um, it is, though, it's great to see Mark Carter kind of coming in. Obviously, there is, as Stu kind of pointed out, his proud heritage there, um, the Welsh connection to Kingsley Jones um, and, you know, join Rugby Canada. But it, it's great to see Rugby Canada. Um, obviously, they have a very important relationship with the Toronto Arrows, um, but it's great to see Rugby Canada kind of building relationships up with the American MLR teams too. Um, obviously, the USA Eagles, they get to draw off of all the American MLR teams and stuff. Canada, we only have the Arrows, so it's nice to see you know Rugby Canada finding ways to use, use resources um, south of the border and stuff. And I think, you know, Jamie Cudmore, um, maybe given some hope that a Vancouver MLR team could be on its way at some point in the future. Um, but, you know, until that happens, um, right, it, it, you know, the, the Toronto Arrows only have so many spots, um, so many spots for their players, so many spots for their coaching staff, um, so many spots for the players, right? So it's like, you know, it's great to see um, guys like Crosby Stewart, Nick Hildenbrand, Liam Murray um, heading to Houston because it's like, hey, man, if Houston, if Houston's looking at their squad being like, we, 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 have, we have needs that the guys on the Pacific Pride team can fulfill. And, you know, obviously the Toronto Arrows have a lot of really good props. Um, so, you know, Murray and Hildenbrand, um, obviously Tyler Rowland is part of that prop core. So it's like maybe the Arrows don't necessarily need more props, um, but Houston does. Um, or, you know, Toronto doesn't necessarily need another scrum. They have Ferguson, they have Higgins. Um, so it's like, they don't necessarily need a scrum half, but maybe, you know, um, Houston maybe is looking for a backup for Roos. Um, so it's like it, you find those needs and find it where it fits in. And I think the same thing can go on like, kind of on that coaching side. Obviously Carter's not act, not, Canadian, but if he's working for Rugby Canada and stuff, like, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to go kind of to not necessarily have to be an arrow, right? Like the the Toronto Arrows have a great performance analysis in Coco Lozada. Um, so like that, the need for a performance analyst on the Toronto Arrows isn't necessarily there because they have a fantastic one already. Um, so if you're kind of looking to have Rugby Canada bring in um, another performance analyst, then it's like obviously the LA coaching staff um, is brand new. So they're like a clean slate down there. Um, so you know, if you can find a guy to come in, do a little work for Rugby Canada and help out an MLR team too, um, so he stays kind of, you know, close to the Canadian national team, I think that works out marvelously. Um, and, you know, 
you know, even like kind of going back even to the idea that Phil Mack was a player coach for Seattle, um, you know, it's, there's, there's so, there's only so many spots. The arrows only ha- can have so many coaches or so many players. Um, so you got to send some guys. So hopefully if guys can find jobs south of the border and stuff too, that's great. Um, like I said, obviously Carter um, is from Wales, um, but it's, um, but you know, to be able to work for the Canadian national team and help out an MLR team as well. Um, I think it's huge and stuff. And, you know, that's the second one that Kingsley Jones has brought over. Obviously Rob Howley um, is going to be working. So building a, like a Western Wales contingent. Yeah, head, exactly. Head office and of Rugby I Canada. am fine with that. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Put, putting the, uh, the British into British Columbia out there. Um, <laughs> But, um, Listen, if they make the, if they call the Vancouver the Vancouver MLR team the Dragons, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I like I like what 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 Jamie suggested with the Axemen, but uh, you mean but, the Squamish uh, the Welsh... MLR team? We're putting the Squamish MLR oh, team. Oh, true. Well, uh, we we have one more thing to talk about, and we're sticking with the Guillotines because they made quite the uh, splash with their coaching staff. Again, we we still don't know anything about their roster yet, but uh, they signed a, a uh, another. Staff, yeah, a good a good addition, a British and Irish Lions uh, addition, Derek. Yeah, so they're uh, bringing in, um, obviously, famed commentator as well, does a lot of work for NBC and did sport games for the MLR last year. Um, so Alex Corbacero, um is going to be the scrum coach, um, which is outstanding because, you know, there's a lot of teams in the league that, you know, it's it's a nice addition to the coaching staff. And, you know, and it's also a great thing to see MLR kind of diving into more of like the specialized coaching as well, um, having a specific scrum coach and I mean, the Giltinis are building quite the staff here. I mean, we have uh, Darren Coleman, who just just won the Shoot Shield this weekend as well. Um, you know, you have guys that, like you said, uh, Stu, you said uh, Carter won the uh, the Pro 14 with Scarlets. Corbacero, obviously, a British and Irish Lions prop. Um, so that's going to be a big help for them in the scrum. Um, and uh, he's done some consulting work for MLR teams in the past. So, um, but so nice to kind of see him like, and sort of lock down a role with the Giltinis. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's like knowing this now, be very interested to see one who, well, again, who knows, like we got to see what the actual roster is, which I'm sure, like I said, probably is coming out. Something I'm watching after. it. I'm, I know. Watching the I'm just like, I keep refreshing right my phone. I see like notifications. It's like, are they going to put it out? They did. Well, I mean, what did they say? They said starting from November 1st. So today yes, is November so. 1st. So maybe not on November 1st day. So one a day for every day in November. So yeah, I guess I that's, that's kind of what Seattle looks to be doing. The one, one a week, I guess. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's another thing we can go into. Brock Staller re-signing as well. There's another the Baller uh, Staller. Yeah, Canadian signing. So the the leading scorer for Major League Rugby in uh 2019 season, second all-time leading scorer behind Sam Windsor. Um, so that's you know, that, that's again brilliant to see. I know there's a lot of people that are still, you know, scratching their heads as to how he didn't get invited to the uh the Canada camp. Um I'm pretty I, sure, I, pretty sure you and I screamed about this a lot. Yes, I was like, you know what? I was like, show. I still, I still think it was like, yeah, we did, but we probably did. Yeah, we definitely did. I think it was like, maybe he doesn't make the team anyways, but to not have him at camp, I was still like, oh, kid, like that's a, 
uh, I don't yeah, with know. The way, with the way sport. Taylor P- Paris is played over in France, I get why he was not included. Yes, yes, he's, and he's and Andrew Coa, you know, yeah. had had a had a good World Cup, you know, like. I, but like, yeah, let's, he, let's, let's not get into this because yeah, not, if people want to hear about this, go go back. Ex, and, and, and I don't even and, know what episode number it is. Go back and hear rants on it. Um, but you know, um, Saul is obviously a great player. I think the interesting thing, though, is obviously in 2019, a big part of the reason why he was the leading scorer um, for the um, the Seattle Se- or Seawolves, or sorry, the leading scorer in the, for the Seawolves, but also for the league as a whole, um, he was like the go-to guy um, whenever Seattle needed a kick, be it, be it a conversion or a penalty, and. Um, you know, I think that kind of seemed to change a little bit in 2020 where, uh, um, you know, Keys Lensing had um, him kind of splitting the duties with Ben Sima a little bit. Um, Sima obviously was on an, like an absolute tear when the season ended too. He was 12 for 12. Um, the only player in the league, I believe the only player in the league that had over 10 attempts that was still perfect. Um, I might have to double check that though. I could be wrong. Um, but uh but like, yeah, so in um, Staller too, like Staller was um, 11 for 12. Um, so it was like, he just missed the one. So it was like, it, it, it's interesting though, that they were kind of splitting that. So, you know, if, if that continued throughout the year, I don't think Staller would have necessarily led the league in scoring again. Um, Jason Robertson was leading when they shut down. Um, but it, you know, when you, so I'm curious to see what actually how they actually shape that out. Um, Seema's kicking bombs for the Ohio Aviators. Um, he's coming on the pitch for three seconds yeah. and just, um, so, I mean, he's got the boot, but Staller, Staller has that boot too. Like Staller can do the distance, man. Like he can, he's, he's been known to, uh, you know, slot a penalty or so from like beyond half to like, it's, um, like, so like Seattle, either way, man, Seattle's got two outstanding kickers. I mean, um, the Ohio aviators are listing SEMA on the, as a Seawolf when they put up their roster, but, uh, nothing, nothing overly official from the Seawolf. For sure. Um, but so you know, it was, the episode was called no spot is safe. No spot uh, is safe from June 26, 2019. So everybody wants to hear a scream to be that episode yeah. to watch. Yeah, exactly. This is this is also priest too, so you don't have the calming Welsh voice to <laughs> calm everyone down. And like, you know what though, too? Like, should we should we even? I mean, should we talk about you know Stu? Like, the Welsh god is now the most capped man of all time. Yes, uh, God has now played 149 games, which uh, takes him over Richie McCaw's uh, limit of 148. Also, God. And- uh, God of the Southern Hemisphere, we'll like that. and um, you know it's incredible because this is a guy who every time you see him on the pitch, you can see him. Yeah, you know he's got a good uh, year, couple of years left in him. We can definitely see um, like he's played some of the best rugby he's ever played, and he and he's very aware of the fact that you know there's more games behind him than in front of him. Um, He has a contract with uh, the Ospreys in Wales, and that is set to run out next summer. Um, But that would also include a potential fourth Lions tour. And he... So Alwyn Jones currently has nine Lions caps. So he's played in every game of the... Uh, 2009, 2013, and 2017 
uh, Lions test tours. So those are the test matches themselves, um, not all of the uh, preliminary matches. But if he could go and get 10 or even, I think it would be unbelievable if he got 12 consecutive Lions matches. I think that would be another record that would tumble. And okay, Wales haven't been playing um, their best of uh, 2020, unfortunately. It's probably because they look like Liverpool now. Well, I think it, I think it's more than they were. They weren't playing that well, even when they were still. Um, Actually, in I, I don't even know anything about soccer. I don't even know if Liverpool's good. I just saw somebody who was like, "This looks like the Liverpool kit," and I went with the joke. But I don't even know if Liverpool's good or bad, to be honest. Uh, with well, you. well, they're currently top of the Premier League, so and they're the defending Premier League champions. I wish oh, Wales so, were yeah. having that amount of success at the moment. Ah. Uh, but um, all in all seriousness, it's a phenomenal achievement. I mean, we all know, even just from you know playing uh, in like amateur leagues or even in uh, school, is imagine playing in like the lock position for mm-hmm. 149 games in international requirements. It's it's amazing and. You know, congratulations to Alan Wynne Jones. Very deserved achievement. Uh, I'd like to see him uh, push to get 160, and ho- I put. I'd like to see him push to get uh, the 12 Lions caps. But obviously, that's uh, something for next year. And who's deciding on who gets those Lions caps? Why it is a former. Wales coach and former Lions coach and the man who um, put him in as captain for the 2013 um, game winning uh, match for the tour is uh, Warren Gatland. So, you know, maybe there is a little bit of favoritism there, but um, go with what you know, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I will say for now, um, yeah, congratulations to Alan Wynne-Jones and, yeah, hopefully we get to see a few more caps added to that tally. Yeah. I can't wait until episode like 395 or whatever it's going to be when we get to talk about Will Priscillier breaking Alan Wynn Jones' record for most caps. <laughs> um, and, you know, and all the uh, probably breaking it like at, during the World Cup final, too, like just the ultimate storybook ending for Mr. Priscillier's career. And, I would like to remind episodes. all of our international listeners that marijuana is legal in Canada and because clearly Derek's smoking something at the moment. By, well, by saying Will Priscilla is a good rugby player? I, not a good rugby player. No, 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 no. no. The there's there's good, then there's like what you're suggesting, which is like God status. You just It's playing a lot of games. You could lose a lot of games. It doesn't mean like it's just oh, obviously. I think, I think the whole Jones you just got play final that you were yeah. talking about. Yeah. All right. Well, yes. Well, the world, oh, it was more about the World Cup final thing. Well, yeah. Obviously, twenty thirty one. Right. That's what we're all aiming for here. Boy. All right, gentlemen. It's we're going to finish uh, off Canada USA final at the North American World Cup. 
Well, we're going to finish off there because I think if Derek says anything else, his head might explode. Uh, If you guys are more interested in uh, listening to more of our podcast episodes or getting in contact with us, or you just want to have a chat about some of the crazy things we say on this, uh, this show, uh, you can reach us at LaRouge rugby on Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, We post uh, our, our videos, our, our links to our podcast and much more gentlemen. Hopefully in a few weeks, we will get a roster from the guillotines that we can talk about. And maybe there'll be some Canadian faces that we can have a little bit of a chat about. For the record, I think the most ridiculous part of the thing that I said is that if we somehow get to 395 episodes, I feel like that's <laughs> well, I feel like I'll be happy no matter how good Canada is doing. And that'll be the most ridiculous person. So if you are listening for that long, thank you in advance.